two friends, Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canon's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. And welcome to another edition of Gale Force Wins. With me, as always, my good buddy, Jerry Carew. How are you today, Jerry? Well, I'm doing good. I must say, you know, uh, Gale Force Wins is really taking some momentum. And uh, with that in mind, we've decided together to uh, feature some charitable organizations rather than focus just on business. Now, that's obviously a passion of mine and yours. We, we want to help some of the charitable organizations get a little bit of notoriety and tell their story. So with us today is Paul Davis. Um, but Al, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about being able to do this. How about you? Listen, Jerry, I couldn't be more excited about it. There's success everywhere. And oftentimes, uh, these organizations, they need a platform to tell their story. And, and Gale Force Winds is happy to be that platform. So it gives me great pleasure. Paul, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Well, thanks very much. And as you said, um, I'm, uh, I'm, delighted, I'm delighted to be here. And, and uh, Paul Davis, if you ever caught uh, Jerry's first introduction, is, is my name. And I'm the vice chair of the National Board of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, which is the role that brings me to you gentlemen here today. So it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Paul, it's Paul, great. Uh, that's great. Yeah, sorry. I got to say something, Alan. I'm now part of the, the board and I really appreciate the invite and I do want to do my best. I will say that the, the name tends to be a bit of a mouthful sometimes, Paul. You know, Leukemia <laughs> and Lymphoma Society of Canada. So we're going to try and do our best to get it right, hey? Eh? I'm going to shorten it uh, at times to LLSC is what we should what we uh, excellent shorten it to LLSC, but it's it's uh, leukemia and lymphoma represent two major groups of blood cancers, uh, more uh, common blood cancers um, that affect uh, impact patients. So uh, leukemia and lymphoma society uh, covers those two major groups. Uh, Paul and I can't wait to dive into the good work that you're doing. And, and but before we get there. I want to. I want to know a little bit about you. I want to know where Paul Davis is from, and and where your journey is taking you from from the beginning to here now. Well, how long is this podcast going to be? Listen, <laughs> as long as the internet's up and on. Our, uh, our viewers, Paul, are telling us an hour is not enough. They want five to six hours per episode. <laughs> We're going to need a new contract, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, my interest in, in LIC developed uh, actually uh, a decade ago this month, and in my uh, through my lifetime, I've been involved with numerous uh, uh, charitable and, and health-related organizations. I founded the uh, the Avalanche chapter of Motorcycle Ride for Dad, was focused on raising funds for education, uh, awareness, and research for prostate cancer. I've been a big supporter of the uh, of the uh, breast cancer network and uh, local group that are very active here. I've been a big supporter of, of that group in the past. And uh, it's 10 years ago this month, actually, when uh, I wasn't feeling one day and uh, felt the need to go see my doctor, something I didn't do very often, probably not often enough. Uh, he sent me to the emergency room with a suspected uh, uh, appendicitis. And at the emergency room, the doctor said, I believe you have appendicitis. We'll do your blood work now and move on. Uh, I was 49 years old at the time. And not long after, uh, the doctor comes back and says, you don't have appendicitis, but we got something going on. 
And it turned out to be a, a cancerous lymph node uh, in my appendix that had made me feel very sick in the, in the previous few days. And that's where it all began for me. I didn't know at the time. It took me a few weeks to understand exactly what I was dealing with. And, and I remember my, when my uh, the surgeon uh, spoke to the surgeon a couple of weeks later, it was actually, I actually met with him on Friday the 13th. There's one for you. That's when he actually yeah. explained my diagnosis to me. But, and he told me I had lymphoma. I was, I just, I had to say, like, I don't know what you're, what are you talking about? What is that? And uh, he had to explain to me how it was a, a blood cancer and specifics of it. And then I was off to the races. So that's 10 years ago this month for me. Paul, what was it like in that moment when he told you that? Like, and what, what was going through your mind and, and, and how, how, does, how does perspective kick in at that moment? Uh, nothing has ever been the same since then. Nothing. Yeah. Everything is different uh, from that time. Uh, life is different from that time. And it's a part of life. It doesn't, you know, the, the cliche and the words quite often is, you know, uh, cancer doesn't define me, but it certainly is a, um, a factor in my life that's had significant impact on us that will never be different. It'll never, it'll never be anything other than what it, what it was. But, uh, you know, at that very moment, the very first thought that patients quite often have when a doctor sits across from you and says, you have cancer, is you immediately, or I did, and many people do, uh, go to the feeling of, I just got a death sentence. And, uh, and that's what people believe with cancer. And it's not always that way. Matter of fact, most of the times now it's not. And cancer is not what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's not even what it was 10 years ago at this point in time or, or five or six years ago. And it's more treatable today than it ever was before. The treatments aren't, are, are still challenging and difficult. There's nothing... There's nothing fun about having to go through a cancer uh, treatment uh, process, but it's certainly not what it was 20 years ago either. Oh, uh, you know, I just want to talk about that because, you know, cancer's affected my life. Uh, but there's one lady in particular, I think three or four family members died, and she's very critical of the, the cancer foundations. Just she's basically saying, you know, all of this money is going into these organizations and nothing has changed. So can you just address that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And it's, you know, it's a common, it's a, it's, I shouldn't say common. It's not uncommon for people to be skeptical about uh, cancer research and the leukemia and lymphoma society uh, mission, a big part of the mission of, uh, of our organization is to support cancer research and the data proves it's working but it, it works in little tiny steps sure. there's never going to be a magic pill or a magic treatment that's just going to cure all cancers you know there's about 130 plus different forms of blood cancer known today or subtypes of blood cancer today wow there's the main groups of leukemia hodgkin's lymphoma non-hodgkin's lymphoma and myeloma but if you look at the outcomes and the five-year averages, and I have them here in front of me, so I'm, I'll, I'll refer to them, but the five-year survival, survival rates of those four particular groups compared uh, to the early 1990s, 92, 93 range uh, of data studied versus 2007, 2008 range, uh, for myeloma, the five-year survival rate's gone from 28% to 42%, uh, for, which, is a, which is a really tough one. Uh, myeloma is always known as a very tough one but there are better treatments today than there ever was before. Leukemia, and leukemia is the most common form of cancer for children to be diagnosed with. But for uh, leukemia, um, in 1992, 43% five-year survival rate is now 58%. Yeah. 
for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, it's gone from 49% to 66%. And Hodgkin's lymphoma, which has traditionally been the most treatable type or grouping of blood cancers, was 82% and now it's up to 85%. So if you think that's very good and that's great progress, and not only is there progress made on the treatments and the outcomes of those treatments themselves, but then there's also progress made on better diagnostic uh, methods. And, uh, and therefore, once you, you can tailor make the, the treatment process uh, more specifically than you could years ago. So there are steps to prove it, Jerry. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Alan, I've never heard anyone talk about these statistics. You know, everyone yeah. goes down the negative road. This, to me, is very good news. Thanks for sharing it, Paul. I, I talk to people frequently and I'll have people call me and say, I just got diagnosed. I don't know what to do. And, uh, and there's a number of, of, of thoughts that I usually share with them. And one is that we have fam fantastic uh, treatment programs, oncologists, hematologists, pathologists, uh, technicians, support staff, nurses uh, here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We absolutely do have fantastic uh, treatment options here in this province. Uh, the other thing I, I tell them is my first comment to me to you is that when I got diagnosed, I thought, you know, it was a death sentence and it's not anymore. Uh, there's nothing to, to celebrate about having to go through a cancer treatment, but it's certainly worth the effort. And they have pills and medications now to offset the side effects that chemotherapy uh, created, you know, historically many, many years ago. And the, the drugs and treatments are improved so much today that a lot of those side effects are minimized. You still get them. You still have people still deal with nausea and hair loss and fatigue and all those kinds of things. That's part of the treatment process, but it's, it's, uh, it's much better than it was years ago. Paul, I want to pick up on something you said there, you know, 49 years old, the wind comes out of your sail. You, you clearly remember that I'm sure as if it was just yesterday. And now people call you probably only hours away from having had that conversation and, 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 and you provide them, uh, you provide them a light. You, how does that feel? That, that must feel very uh, rewarding for you when you're able to help them in that. Yeah. Moment. You, know, I re, you know, I remember when, uh, when I finally, when I got my diagnosis, cause I had my surgery and there was a couple of weeks went by before I actually knew what was going on. We went and met with the, uh, my wife and I went and met with the surgeon you know, he said, you're going to have to be seeing a hematologist. And, and he said, the hematologist is going to want this test, this test, this test. So he said, I'm going to go ahead and order those now, which was encouraging. And, and then we came home and said, well, we got to talk to our family and friends and our son, you know, who was a teenager at the time. And how are we going to do that? And I called a friend of mine and um, uh, John and, um, and he had gone through leukemia himself. And, and he said, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, very good. And he yeah. said, what did he tell you? I said, well, I'm going to have to do chemo. I said, oh, yeah, that sucks, but you'll be all right. And I said, what did you say? He said, you'll be all right. I said, well, that's kind of what the doctor said. He said, oh, yeah. He said, no, this is no fun to this. And I said, well, what do I tell my, what do I tell my son? And he said, well, he said, what I did was is I went to him and I said, I have cancer and there's a treatment plan. And it's going to be a rough go, but I'm going to be okay. And that's exactly the advice I've taken, I took from him, and it's the advice I've given to others uh, many, many times uh, since then. Oh, yeah. That's such a Newfoundland approach. Yeah, I'll be all right. That's fantastic. And to be able to, to pass that advice on to you, I mean, that's invaluable. That's incredible. Tell me about navigating through the healthcare system with this, you know. How yeah. was that experience for you? 
it's amazing how quickly things can start to happen when you get a diagnosis like this. And um, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I was quite pleased with the fact that, uh, you know, I, I received the care, treatment, and attention as I did. I remember it was, it took me a week to see the hematologist. I had a number of, of tests and assessments done that week. And uh, so I met my, my doctor on a Friday. It was the following Friday. I met with the hematologist first time. And uh, he, and he said, uh, okay, but there's a number of other things I want. So I'm going to, I'm going to schedule, you know, another number of tests for you. You'll be called and giving your appointments next week for it. Um, the next week I did some more testing. And then it was a few days after that when I met him. And, and uh, I remember saying to him, can we get on with this? Because I felt like I got, I have this this cancer in my blood here that's you know being pumped yeah. around my body, and I, I don't know anything about it. I'm I'm no expert by any means, and I don't know anything about it. And and I don't. Can we hurry this up? And he said, "Hang on." He said, "If you're in in," and he named some other provinces. I won't name them, but he named another province. He said, "If you lived in such and such a place, you'll be three months waiting to see me." And I got in here, and I met with him twice within two weeks of of finally getting that diagnosis. So that was, then at that point in time, I was six weeks out of that day that I actually had gone into the emergency room. And sometimes it just takes time. But he did say to me that I'm not doing anything with you until I have all of the information. And it's important for me to get all of that first. And that takes a little bit of time. And then uh, before, by the end of May, um, I was uh, walking into the ambulatory treatment unit and uh, hooked up with uh, my first round of chemotherapy to be pumped in. Yeah, Paul, it's amazing. We live in a, a country where we've got this beautiful healthcare system that catches us when we fall. It must be wonderful to have been caught. Absolutely. And, and uh, uh, after, you know, they, they find out more as they go along and they continue to do testing. And it was, it was determined I actually had two forms of blood cancer. I had a low-grade called follicular lymphoma, and I had a high-grade, more aggressive, uh, called uh, diffuse large B-cell. It was the, the diffuse large B-cell that made me sick that I went to the hospital with that I was being treated for. And I remember saying to the doctor, and I, and he, and, uh, I said, no, that's aggressive. That's not good. He said, no, that's good because it responds well to chemotherapy. Those types of blood cancers respond with the chemotherapy. So okay. So, I don't know what I'm talking about. and making wrong assumptions and so on. And then he told me, he said, well, you have a low grade as well. I have a low grade flicker lymphoma, which some people have for a long, long time. And quite often they're not treated. They do what they call waitful watching or watchful, watchful uh, uh, waiting. And they'll, you know, keep an eye on you and test you. And some people might go eight or 10 years or more before they ever need to be treated with uh, flicker, for follicular lymphoma. And when he told me I had that as well, and I said, well, glad I'm, I'm doing the chemo now. So that'll clear up too. And he said, no. Uh, low grade is not good because it doesn't respond well to chemo, even though it's very slow growing. Uh, but it just hangs around and transforms to a high grade, which is what has happened to me. So I learned a lot through the process, and I'm still not a an expert by any means, but I certainly very quickly gained confidence in the care I had. And I was treated at, at a center in, in the health science center they call the ambulatory treatment unit. Uh, in Newfoundland Labrador, most people undergoing chemotherapy will go to the uh, Dr. H. Bliss Murphy Cancer Care Center. Uh, but blood cancer patients actually go to the ambulatory treatment unit because that's where hematologists also treat patients who have other blood disorders that are not necessarily cancer. Paul, Paul, I, I, uh, I got it. While you're talking, I was, I was just thinking, you know, honestly, I don't really know 
I can't visualize what a blood cancer is. I have images in my head of what, you know, a tumor is. Can you just give me, give, give our viewers some idea? You know, it's, it's, it's a tumor growing on a bone. I understand that. I honestly could not articulate to you what blood cancer is and what is it doing? You know, could you just talk a little bit about that? I'll try. <laughs> you should get a pathologist on to talk to you as well. And yeah. some goes around. Uh, basically, the difference in a leukemia and lymphoma is, is lymphoma has a solid tumor and leukemias do not. So a lymphoma would have a, a cancer in a lymph node uh, primarily. And lymph nodes are contained all over your body. Uh, they're everywhere. They're, you get them in your neck. And I remember when I was a child and, you're, and you get a cold or flu and your mom would feel your neck and she'd say, oh, you know, your glands are swollen. Well, yeah. Uh, your lymph nodes were swollen because your lymph nodes filter your blood and clean your blood. And they're contained all over your body, your armpits, your groin, every organ has lymph nodes. And uh, they filter and clean and uh, are, they're kind of like the, the wash cycle for your blood sort of thing. Where leukemia is a blood cancer of the cells themselves, uh, of, the, uh, of the blood cells themselves. So um, and then some will grow in bone marrow and some are outside of bone marrow and they get different types and types of uh, blood cancers that grow from there. So like I said, there's about 130. When I was diagnosed, I was told there were 70 known subtypes. Today, there's 130. Mm -hmm. So they've been able to extract and break down those, those specific types greater today than they did you know, 10 years ago. Paul, you, uh, you mentioned that the center you went into to receive your care. Tell me about some of the folks in there. They're remarkable people. No absolutely. Doubt. Absolutely. I always have. I love my nurses. And they're absolutely. And, and when I went in, uh, you know, I was on a three-week cycle. So I knew that I was in today. Three weeks from the day, I'll be in there again. And uh, some of the same patients were on the same cycle. Mm -hmm. So we'd go in and say hello. And their, their partners or wives would be with them. And they'd, you know, say hello to each other. Um, my wife always used to get a kick out of it because we had to take Benadryl before one of our drugs and they give us a double dose. And of course, half an hour later, it starts to have the effects of you. You don't care what's going around you. You're going you're gonna yeah. to go to sleep yeah. somewhere. But, and uh, we'd all be having a big chat and, you know, 20 or 30 minutes later, we'd all, all be, <laughs> and it was the, it was kind of the running joke of what, what would happen to us and we'd have our nap, you know, kind of thing. But, um, but the staff in there are fabulous. They, they absolutely are. And they get to know you and we get to know them. And they, we know, you know, we get to know all of the nurses in there and they get to know the patients as well. But they're, they're a fantastic group, uh, provide lots of support and initiative. And they'll tell you straight up, you know, if someone needs to tell you, uh, you know, after my first, my first chemotherapy, I went home with a list of drugs like I've never had in my life and that we had to pick up in the pharmacy. And uh, I remember, you know, one of the nurses saying to me, you know, now, if you feel this, you take this drug, and this happens, you take this drug, and this happens, you know, this is what you need to do, getting all your, your marching orders. And she'd say, no, don't be a hero. Take your medication. I'm telling you now, you know, don't be a hero. Don't try and be a tough guy. Take your medication. But they were they were super. They were really, really good. And they still are. Yeah, I, I bet. And I bet it's something special in Newfoundland, too, right? Because Newfoundlanders have a way to relate with one another, and it must be just really uh, a special experience. You, you talk about... Uh, you know, when you're 49 in that room, you get that diagnosis and you said your life would never be the same again. Tell me about that. Where did the life go? What was, what, how has it evolved now because of that? You know, so my involvement with the LLSC and the fact that 
people call me or talk to me or seek advice or or what have you um, fairly regularly actually uh, I mean that obviously none of that would have would happen I wouldn't be here talking about talking to you about it today but one of the things that was missing in Newfoundland and Labrador when I got diagnosed was and as, as I mentioned earlier I'd you know, done work to raise money for for support for prostate cancer patients and uh, I had been engaged and involved with the breast cancer community somewhat, and I, I knew them as well. And Bliss Murphy Cancer Care Foundation, uh, I've assisted work with those folks in the past as well, raised money with them. But for blood cancers, there was nothing. Uh, you know, a pamphlet or a book is all that was here. And, and I was saying, like, there must be somewhere here to go or where, where I could talk to them. There wasn't. So um, when I became of, uh, aware of Leukemia Lymphoma Society and um, they were at an office in, in Atlantic Canada, but never had a presence in Newfoundland and Labrador. And so it was pretty exciting when they expressed a, an interest here. And one of our, uh, one of our uh, friends that we have through uh, LLSC, Bonnie, was so, um, um, I didn't know her at the time. And I know she went to the, the signature event for LLSC is called Light the Night, and it was Light the Night being held in Halifax, and her and her husband, who's since passed from blood cancer, uh, went to Halifax for this Light the Night. It was such a beautiful uh, event. Uh, Jerry can tell you how wonderful and, and, and moving it is. And um, they went there, they came back, they said, we got to have, have a presence in Newfoundland and Labrador, and she was very much the catalyst for bringing LLSC to Newfoundland and Labrador. So now here today, there's an active group, yeah. uh, there's an area manager, uh, there's an active group and there's also support group uh, interactions that, uh, that take place. There's outreach for people who are going through blood cancers now where they can make a connection with, um, with the community, blood cancer community. Because I can tell you, a lot of people get a lot of comfort in knowing they're not alone and there is a very large uh, community with, uh, dealing with the same type of, uh, of illness. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that I, I'm familiar with it. I, I was a sales manager at Steel Mazda and Steel Auto Group's a big supporter. Thank you to Rob Steele and, and Charlie Raymond and all those that are involved there. But I have no trouble in speaking in public. I've been at it for 30 years, but I will tell you, and Paul, you probably heard the story. I, I accepted the responsibility of representing Steel Auto Group at the Light the Night event, not thinking much about what the visual of lanterns in a night sky would do to me as I stood on stage. Um, just so everyone knows, my dad died when I was 14, not a blood cancer, but he died of cancer. And when I stood on the stage, <clears throat> I could hardly speak. The, the effect of those lanterns and uh, remind me, Paul, what the colors are. I, I can't remember. I know there's different colors. I, right? I have them here in the room. So there's uh, white, red, and gold. Uh, uh, gold is in memory represent uh, that you're walking in memory of a loved one or friend who has been lost to blood cancer. Uh, red lanterns are carried by uh, family and caregivers and white ones are carried by uh, survivors and patients. Wow. Well, as I stared out uh, from the stage in the Bowering Park where that was held that year, um, I, I could hardly speak and I stammered through something, came off, you know, uh, very emotional and, and it was so powerful. It really struck me that this, this, particular event and this organization needs uh, a lot of assistance and there's a lot of people touched by it so anyway that, that's my story it was a great event and uh, that was 2018 um event and um we we outgrew that venue in 2019 we were looking for a new venue and um 
I, I work with the town of Paradise, and we moved it, uh, the event to the Paradise Park, which is a beautiful facility with a you know a permanent uh, built uh, stage. And I felt uh, you know we always like to have fun, and uh, people, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, always like to have fun. So we got to find a way to. Uh, I wanted to, to uh, make it a more celebratory event. So we're, we're very fortunate to have, uh, through Glenn Crew, Vic and the Ball Points came in and performed, and Mashville's men who had actually lost one of their own to blood cancer that year, and they came in and were the highlight act for us as well. So we ended up with some estimates where we had as many as 3,000 people come and go to the park that night. And uh, it was cold. Remember, Jerry, you were that one. Well, too. you know, I was going to say, Paul, you know, you did an amazing job there. One criticism is you didn't provide a warm <laughs> environment. What was wrong with you? I figured you'd be able to put, uh, you know, turn the heat up somehow. You know, you, you have that power. <laughs> it was a great event. It was a fabulous event. It was. It was great. And, uh, of course, 2020 with the uh, with COVID restricted what uh, these events that late the night couldn't happen across the country. Like, as I mentioned, sir our signature event across the country. So we moved to a virtual platform last year. And I'm very proud to say that uh, the organizing group, and it's a group that worked very, very hard. Uh, my role within this in 2020, uh, admittedly, was was, uh, was pale in comparison to the efforts of some of those folks who did a great job. And uh, they did a wonderful, wonderful job. And we actually increased uh, the revenue in 2020 over 2019 during COVID. We were one of two uh, areas in the country or two local uh, late night events in the country that increased revenue from 2019. So it did a it did a fabulous job. We're pretty proud of that. Paul, you can uh, you can feel your passion for the organization and uh, and, and wanting to to navigate it and lead it and uh, it's fantastic. I read some words about you leading up to the interview and. Uh, and one of the one of the quotes that it, it, it attributed to you was that in life uh, you can either be an observer or a participant, and and you choose to be a participant. And speak to that to me for me. Every single day, uh, we we live our we live in the philosophy of live every life every day to the fullest. Uh, and um, we my 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 wife was a fabulous partner, and I. Oh, so much to her through all of this. She was, uh, she stood by me, never complained once, and and was so so supportive. And I give her lots to complain about, but she didn't about <laughs> complain about any of it. It's been great, and and uh, it's really through her her leadership, you know, and her encouragement that we say, you know, we got a lot of living to do, and that's that's the approach we took. You know, I was forty nine years old. I was facing a, a cancer diagnosis, and and uh, we weren't feeling very good about it the first couple of days, and. She said, look, let's, let's shake this off now because we do have a lot of living to do. And the only thing that we have actually have is today. We don't know what we're going to face tomorrow. None of us do. And we have this moment we have today. So we better get everything we can out of every day. So we're, we're both very active outdoors. My wife walks uh, at least 8K most every day. Uh, I like to ride, uh, ride uh, off-road trails and so on. And, and we have great paths and trails here in the Syria and around uh, Northeast Avalon. And uh, so I, I enjoy that quite a bit, but uh, we certainly like the outdoors and, and we like living every day. And that's, that's absolutely where that comes from. Oh, that's great. It's a great, uh, it's a great philosophy for sure. You know, our audience is listening in and, and they're learning about uh, the LLSC. What would you like to leave them with about the organization and indeed 
Look, there's no one in this country that has not been touched by cancer. And, and, and how, what would you like to leave the audience with? How can, how can we help? How can we be a part of this? So LLSC is, is part of, um, is also part of what's the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society based out of the U.S. And we're, we're very much partners. Largest blood cancer community serving organization in the world. They have lots of resources to assist uh, patients and families, newly diagnosed patients. Um, they have a fabulous resource website, uh, programs to provide a mentorship from people who've experienced, it's called First Connection Program, where people who've gone through a cancer process uh, can uh, mentor and provide uh, support and assistance to those who are now going through a similar kind of, of process. So it's kind of been um, someone been there who can talk me through this and tell me what to expect and it's a, it's a very, very good program. And we also have a 1-800 number where patients and families can call for advice on everything from pharmaceuticals to diet to exercise <clears throat> to all kinds of areas where I don't feel good today. Is this normal? Should I call my doctor? Can I get advice from LOSC? It's not a, it's not a medical response. It's an advice and support line. And it's all available on the LOS uh, Canada website. Uh, oh, so it's a great organization. Uh, the other thing we do, just and I'll just go real quick yeah. this year. We yeah, have, go ahead. In, in Newfoundland and Labrador, we still have a, uh, these, uh, especially with our remoteness, we can send out packages. Uh, they're like, it's like a, a bag, like a, a reusable shopping bag type of, of a kit bag. And in it is, uh, we'll put a binder in it specific to the person's uh, diagnosis, uh, resource material, uh, access to things they may need, little things like a thermometer. Very important for someone going through chemotherapy to keep track of their of their temperature as well. So there's uh, they're available as well through the LLSC uh, website. Sorry, Jerry. Uh, no, no, yeah. Well, you know what's interesting. One of the things you, you say it's not a death sentence. Thanks be to God. That's great. Uh, one thing that comes to mind, though, you know, being a business person and the intensity of business and work. There must be anxiety around the treatments and the time away from work. What advice do you have for the people that are diagnosed, but also for employers in dealing with employees that have that? I think this is an important topic that I think I just want to pick your brain on that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, people, people choose how they're going to how they're going to work through their own journey. Some people are, are uh, very open and, and, and public about it. Other people like to maintain the confidentiality and privacy and don't want to discuss it or have anybody know about it. All the treatments are different. There's many different kinds of, of cancer treatments as there are types of cancer, and they can affect people in as many different ways as there is, as there is treatments. Some people can have you know, difficult, challenging times, while someone else may have uh, you know, a much easier uh, a time with going through or tolerating uh, treatments and same with the results from treatments can vary as well. So it really, all of that, there, there is no set rule guideline or expectation. Only that directly to your point is that it's not unusual for someone could have a good day or a good week followed by a couple of days where you're, you're not, you're not feeling well and you're you know fatigued or tired, or you might be in a different part of your, of your treatment schedule because they work they work in, in waves you know they you, you have your aunt when you first get your chemo and you get the immediate effects and bad taste in your mouth all the metallic taste you hear people talking about and then things, it does things to your body that you know a few days later you'll feel a different way again and then you start to feel fatigued and you start to feel good and when you're feeling really good you go back in and do it all over again 
and those cycles can change from person to person to treat to treat. So you got to be, uh, my advice would be to be supportive, uh, give anybody who's going through it the space that they want or they need, uh, but also be available to support them in any way you can. And it's really up to people. Don't be offended if someone says, I don't want to talk to you about it. I don't want to deal with it. And don't be offended if they want to lean on you either. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what's the future look like for Paul Davis? What's the future look like for you now? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, busy. You know, we're, we're, we're busy all the time. I say, I say we. We're both very, very busy. My wife's very busy. Uh, as well, and she has her own uh, her own interests and obligations that she works with. It, uh, as uh, as I do, we continue to do work uh, with LSC locally, and also uh, the board's been a tough year for a national organization um, as it is for for so many. And uh, so we've got a great uh, great team and leadership team that operate the organization. They do uh, they do uh, very very good work. Um, I I'm involved with a, as a as an advocate on a U.S based uh, study on, uh, on uh, establishing guidelines for laboratory workups for, for uh, blood cancer diagnosis. And I've been involved with that for the last couple of years. So we still got some work to do on that this year. So um, that occupies uh, not so much my time now, but a little bit of time, but that's been an enjoyable process as well. So there's a number of things that we have, uh, we have that we're going on and who knows what the future will bring. It sounds like, uh, well, certainly for a lot of organizations, the last year has been a little bit tumultuous and choppy water for sure. And, and of course, in your life, things were a little tumultuous there with, with your diagnosis and, and some choppy water that you were able to go through. But it sounds like both the organization and you personally, there, there's a steady hand on the tiller there, which is good news for sure. Paul, yeah, we. You know, I'm very, very lucky. I'm thankful every day. You know, I'm very, very lucky. And so, I was, when I was diagnosed in 2011, I was a, I was a backbencher MHA in our provincial legislature, and I, I remember the day in the, the uh, when I was scheduling my first, I was standing at the desk at the center scheduling my first uh, chemotherapy treatment, and my doctor told me I was on a 21 day schedule, and there was a calendar on the wall, and I was going one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three and, and and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm counting three blocks to see where I'm going to be because I was going to, I expected to do six to eight rounds of chemotherapy because there was an election that fall. <laughs> I was going, one, two, three, one, two, three, where am I going to be at six rounds and eight rounds, you know, in three week blocks? Where yeah. I'm going to be, you know, lines up with, with the election. She said, no, no, we don't do that here. All we do is three weeks. Three you, weeks. Do, you do three weeks ahead because sometimes your blood counts may be off, your treatment may be delayed. You know, you could have other reasons for your schedule to be interrupted. And she said, no, we only you want to do three week blocks. So I was just finishing up my, my chemotherapy when the election happened that year. And then after that, not to get too much into politics, but after that, uh, following that election, I was invited to cabinet. But then I, during that time, which very few people knew at the time, but I did two years of maintenance treatments after that. So every three, every three months, I was in the, in the hospital for a day uh, for, uh, for maintenance treatment. And I did that for two years while I while I was actually acting as a minister in the, of the Crown at the time as well. And, and every now and then I'd go in for my treatment or go in for a checkup or go in for my blood work, you know, and it wasn't unusual to phone or bring, right? Is, yeah. is Paul okay? He's not in the hospital. Is he sick again? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You can be in control of a lot of things in your life, but when you go through that, somebody else is in control, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. And it's, uh, yeah, hang on, you yeah. know. 
get on and hang on and and uh, and go with it. But you now I think the I think the most important message of it all is that I'm a, I'm a firm believer that um, a lot of dealing with illness and sickness is in a person's own mind and what they believe themselves. You've got to believe that it's worthwhile to go through it, and you got to have your your eyes focused on beating on beating what it is you're facing and taking on the challenge, be willing to beat it. Um, if you if you can't give up, if you give up from the start, you know, you're going to be in a much worse place than taking it on. And as the statistics show, as I talked about earlier, um, the, it's, not, it's not what it used to be. You know, it's, it's very different today than it was. It's not that it's, it's what it used to be, and quite often there are cures. So, Jerry, what are your final thoughts? Well, uh, you know, there's lots of thoughts. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. You know, I'm, I'm really pleased that Gale Force Winds has the ability to give this story uh, the detail that it needs, Paul, so that people that are either suffering from it, from this diagnosis, uh, the family members that are around it, uh, that anybody that needs the help can get it. Uh, I think live every day to the fullest. You have to believe those are things that are incredibly important. I want to mention uh, there's a lady that uh, I've met uh, that runs, she's the area manager. Her name is Michelle Lambert. You have a fantastic person. I would be remiss if I didn't bring her up. I know you alluded to her. Um, she's a wonderful person doing great things. Uh, last thing I want to say is that the website for anyone who uh, they can search it for, but uh, it's llscanada.org. Correct, Paul? Correct. Yes, absolutely. And there's a there's also regional sites. There's a re regional site there for Atlanta Canada. There's an over overarching site there, overall site. There's also then you can you can dive deeper into what region you're in and find things specific. Uh, Michelle can help provide um, uh, kits, information, and assistance to people who are who are no, newly diagnosed uh, to uh, patients and have that shipped out to them. We've got great relationship with the hematologist. Uh, with the cancer unit uh, at the Health Science, the um, um, where admitted patients are, are you know, grouped together as well, and majority treatment, and we have a good good relationship with them as well. And we also have a good group, uh, Jerry, as you know, of um, a growing group of people who have experienced blood cancer who like to get together. We used to like to do it personally, but now we do it virtually. We just did one a couple of nights ago, and uh, we have a chat about uh, about uh, our past or or. You might have someone new come there looking for some assurance and they can see all these people who've been there and done this and beaten it and moved on kind of thing with their lives. So it's, it's a good group as well. And as I mentioned, blood cancer is the most significant or most frequently uh, diagnosed cancer in children. So it's important that we continue to work towards uh, cures and supports for them as well. Paul, I don't know if we've, <laughs> there's a lot to pull out of our conversation today and thank you, but we always ask, our guests to leave the audience with a piece of advice, something to think about. Uh, when I uh, uh, when I get when I get diagnosed, and of course I'm a you know, fairly public person, and and um, from my my policing past, I was out. Of, I retired from policing about a year before that, and I started to get phone calls from former colleagues, and, and uh, they would. They would call me, it's easy, Paul, really sorry to hear what's going on. And, and after a while, it, wasn't, it only took me a few days to say, okay, what did you hear? No. Oh, I heard you got this. No, I don't have that. No. <laughs> or I heard, heard you got some other. No, that's not it either. And I, I found that uh, it was, I had, to, I had to clarify what it was. It was my step towards being open about what happened, what I was dealing with, because the, the rumor mill was, 
was blowing things totally out of proportion, totally and ever much inaccurate. And uh, I remember my father-in-law, I'm talking to my father-in-law, and uh, he said to me, he said, well, my son, he said, it can't always be somebody else. And uh, they were very true words, and uh, those words have stuck with me since then. And I think the headline or sub-headline on the story in the telegram uh, quoted my father as, it, uh, as his words were, can't always be someone else. So when someone gets a diagnosis, many of us will in our lifetime. And if not, we'll have a loved one that will. And, uh, and just remember, it can't always be somebody else. And most often, there's a path forward. And there are great, talented people to deal with it for you. Well, that's wonderful advice for sure. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, just another wonderful episode of Gale Force Winds. What a what a pleasure it was to talk with Paul Davis and, and learn more about the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada and what good work they're doing. Also, such uh, wonderful to hear about the great healthcare services that are available in Newfoundland and indeed in this country. We have a great social net here. There's so much for us to uh, to be very proud of. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I always leave the audience with my own little piece of advice or my own words, and that is, the world needs more Paul Davis. Thanks very much, Paul. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Jerry, very much. Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.